Welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series Podcast. This is the third episode of the series, and today we are joined by Pastor Dave Ritter, and our guest is Leslie Daniels. Today, Pastor Dave explains Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the famous telling of the fiery furnace. Our main point for today is what does God promise to do when we are in times of trouble? So for our podcast this week, let's do a short review where we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Ken gave us some history of the Jewish people before the exile to Babylon. The parents of, of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego uh, would have been living during the reign of King Josiah. And that was known as one of the last good kings of Judah. And one significant thing that happened to shape Josiah's reign was the rediscovery of the book of the law. So, Pastor Dave, could you tell us for a second what that book means to us? What name do we know that by and what kind of impact that would have had on that generation? Yeah, well, the book of the law certainly would have included, uh, at, at a bare minimum, the first five books of the Old Testament, which... Uh, Often to Jews, it's known as the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it gives not only the history of the Jewish people up until the time of the kings, but it also is uh, where you find God's law uh, stated and then reiterated. And, uh, you know, the law was regarded as, as holy. And especially in a time of revival, such as they experienced under Josiah, there would have been a a very strong dedication on the part of devout Jews to keeping the law. All right, so we're going to see how that's going to impact our sermon this week. To get us thinking about the passage in Daniel 3, you asked three questions. What do you do when those who rule demand that you sin? What do you do when those who oppose you turn you in? And what do you do when those who condemn you think they'll win? Uh, me personally, uh, doing the right thing when demanded or commanded uh, to sin uh, is a little bit easier than some of those more subtle forms of coercion. But it also helps that when you've already bought in to listening to the false gods. You know, for me, I already have stacks of holiday calendars in my, my mailbox. You know, we were coming up on the midterms and, you know, corrupt political systems have given us very few viable uh, candidates. And we're constantly badgered by fear mongers and speculators telling our economy is going to fail. And that just erodes our confidence in, in, our, in our faith. So thinking about our, our, our friends here uh, who are in exile, uh, how can we have the confidence that, like they had in our, these times of trouble? Well, I think it's clear that, for one thing, they were steeped in God's word. Uh, because the the uh, commands of God that they're expected to violate are right there on the surface in the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments. Uh, you shall have no other God before me, and you shall not carve any image or bow down to it. And, and that's basically the challenge they're being put to by being asked to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. I think so you've got... As you pointed out, uh, these Hebrews coming out of the revival under Josiah, which was a revival of the law, uh, so they're paying attention to the law, maybe in a, a way that 
other generations of Israelites had not. They've got each other. I think that's another mm-hmm. important piece of this is that these three guys aren't standing alone. Uh, and and that's important for us as well. So if, for us to be steeped in the scriptures, to know what God says, what God wants of us, uh, how to live lives that please him, and and then to have each other uh, to support us in in crazy times when the world is sending us all kinds of other messages. Uh, th- those are two things I think that are, are really key safeguards for us. Right. Being in community. Leslie, you, you guys, you and Jim, you're a part of many of the, the events and things that go on here. Mm-hmm. What is the, so Monday nights, you guys participate in, in the treehouse community? No, Monday oh, nights. Tuesday we, nights. Tuesday nights we're a youth group. Monday nights we actually do um, a live stream. Uh, listen to a live stream sermon from another local church. That's like our Monday night church. Um, Tuesday night is youth group here helping out and, you know, being with the kids and the other youth youth and adult leaders. Um, Tuesday night, Jim's also doing a Bible study. Wednesday, we do another Bible study together. <laughs> um, and I, as you guys are talking, and I'm thinking about my daily and weekly life, and yeah, if you're not in the Word and you're not fellowshipping and learning with other like-minded believers um you get weak yeah Uh, you know you draw your strength from god you draw your strength from the word and you draw your strength from good teaching and fellowship with other christians and you know if we didn't have that against what's coming at you from the world you know it's hard so you gave three examples of uh people resisting orders that that we find in the bible you mentioned Exodus uh, chapter 1. We had the Egyptian midwives refusing to terminate the Hebrew babies. Uh, we have, because they were so beautiful, as, as I recall. We have what happens, uh, a preview for Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel is faced of being either thrown in the lion's den, or if he doesn't pray to the king. And then we have... James and John. James and John in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles are refusing to stop preaching the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Was that the, the time Gamaliel kind of stepped in and said, if this is from God, it's going to be... Yeah, on one of those occasions, basically they have the same conversation, Acts, Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, and both times they stand strong and, and uh, reiterate that Look, if you're going to make us disobey what God has instructed us to do, you need to know we're going to obey God, not you, uh, even though you might be the high priest. Yeah, and so those three examples were just a way of saying, you know, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the golden image, it was an act of uh, passive uh, resistance, uh, just refusing to do what uh, the authorities are saying, especially if it's an unjust or unrighteous law. And uh, those three examples were simply ways of saying, you know, it's not the only time that you see something like this happening in Scripture. You have at least these four examples. The overall principle, of course, that we would abide by in Romans 13 is you obey the governing authorities. And to the extent that, that the governing authorities aren't asking you to do something that is contrary to the will of God, you know, that's one way that we bear a good testimony in society, that we're law-abiding citizens. But then the scriptures recognize that there might be those times when what the authorities are asking to do is simply 
flat out contrary to your conscience or contrary to the explicit uh, teaching of scripture. In which case, you know, I think on good authority by the example of of, of these various uh, people in, in scripture, uh, then then we would take a stand against what the government is doing and refuse to comply. Right. And, you know, Paul's audience, they, they were facing a lot of persecution. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the, the timeline there, but it would have been Nero for Nero. Um, you know, you hear awful stories yep. uh, of Christians being thrown in, into, into the Colosseum to, as entertainment to die. One of the more gruesome stories um, I've, I've heard was uh, Nero would uh, bind them, bind Christians up and light them on fire uh, for his entertainment at yeah. uh, dinner parties to light the, the the room with human torches. Yeah, it, it, Nero's treatment of Christians was horrible, and it was right in the midst of that that Paul is saying, you know, obey the governing authorities, uh, take away uh, their excuses, uh, you know, don't let them see you as as lawbreakers. Um, and and he goes so far as to say the law is there for our benefit, you know, to keep things peaceful and and uh, to protect us from evil. Nonetheless, uh, yeah, you're going to have certain times when rulers are saying, doesn't matter what your convictions are, this is what you're going to do. And right. and those are times when when Christians are going to have to take a stand. Yeah, yeah and Romans 13.1 there, again, remind us of the sovereignty of God. Uh, and that's been a common theme to these uh, last several passages that we've been studying, um, all the way from the life of Joseph for the previous sermon series. It, it's this constancy that we see throughout the Bible. And, and if we are relying on that understanding that God is sovereign in all things, no matter what is happening in our life, then we can be confident to, to stand and say, this is what I'm going to do, you stood on the, the point there in Daniel uh, 3, 17 and 18, but if not, yeah, um, that, that was, that was a, a, a really great moment. Yeah, so uh, Nebuchadnezzar basically says to these guys, uh, you know, you got to bow down or you're going to burn. You're going to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. And uh, who's going to save you out of my hands? And, and clearly there, that's a, what God is going to save you from my hands. That's clearly a, a challenge to the God of Israel yeah. to say, um, your God is smart. Uh, he, you know, he interpreted my dreams, but your God's not as mighty as my God. Um, and, and if I decide uh, with the authority of my God behind me to throw you in the burning fiery furnace, then uh, you're, you're out of luck. Yeah. And to which they respond, uh, well, O King, uh, as a matter of fact, there is a God who's able to deliver us out of your hands. We're pretty well convinced he's going to. But if not, you need to know we're still not going to bow down. We're not going to violate our convictions, even if we are thrown in the fiery furnace or are consumed by it. So, yeah, one of the things that I, I wanted to draw out here in the sermon was that some people would look at their prophetic um, conviction that they would be delivered from the fiery furnace as the height of their faith. But I think it's really their statement, but if not, yeah. that is truly the heroic 
statement of the height of their faith because they're saying, uh, even if you take our lives, it's not going to change our allegiance to our God. Right. Uh, we're, we're going to be loyal to him no matter what. He's going to deliver even if it is by, you know, letting them burn. Yeah, I think there's there's a sense of um, leaving the outcome in the hands of God. Okay, we've, we desire and we think that he's going to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, uh, we're still going to trust in his in his goodness, his sovereignty, his care, uh, that he, if if that's not the outcome he chooses, then he's got a better outcome. Yeah. Which is, you know, important for Christians around the world today who, you know, this coming Sunday is uh, day of prayer for the persecuted church. And, and you'll find people with the conviction of these three friends all over the world where, you know, they're basically being told by opponents of of their Christian faith, uh, convert or reconvert or die, yeah. and and they're basically entrusting themselves into the hands of someone they believe to be a good and gracious God, uh, and going to a martyr's death, knowing full well that um, you know that that's what awaits them if they don't uh, comply with what's being demanded of them. Uh, you know, we don't face that here in the West, and uh, and, and so we look at people like that, uh, like the story we're going to hear about on Sunday in, in a video we're showing. Uh, we look at people like that as, as heroic and unusual, but down through the history of the church, that's been more the norm. Right. You know? Yeah, and, and kind of uh, another example that is in keeping with the idea of, uh, you know, bowing to authorities who are demanding that you do something. It would be equivalent to somebody who has a conscientious objection to a COVID vaccine, for instance. I know that's controversial, but there are you know, there are Christians who have a very well thought out objection to taking uh, COVID vaccines, and they have been told by their employers. We've had some here at Bayside. They've been told by their employers, "Get the vaccine, or you lose your job." Yeah. And out of their strength of conviction, they have said, "I can't, in good conscience, get the vaccine." They've lost their jobs. I think it's been a, a but if God kind of moment for them, and um, and you know it, their jobs weren't saved. They lost their jobs. But uh, in at least a couple of cases I can think of, uh, God raised up new employment for the for folks, and and some of them landed in even better positions than the ones they were forced to leave. So uh, I think even even today in our context. Uh, it's still it's still a, a, a but if God opportunity sometimes for people right. uh, to trust God no matter what to say okay God um, if if I have to lose my job over this then I'm going to trust you for a better outcome and uh, you know and and to leave it with Him and and say whatever whatever comes as a result He must know is is for my my good and His glory. Throughout history, persecution has been known to advance the church, that God brings those things. Jesus prophesied those things uh, for the destruction of Jerusalem, um, that for the key element of the church to spread was the fact that Rome was coming to destroy the temple. Yeah, and and think too in, in terms of uh, scriptural prophecy, the uh, moment still to come. 
when the Antichrist demands, you know, receive the mark of the beast or you won't be able to buy or sell or do business and uh, you might get starved right out of the economy. And, um, you know, whoever is alive at that time who is declaring allegiance to Jesus is going to be faced with the very same dilemma. Do we get the mark of the beast and essentially declare a loyalty to him over Christ? Or do we say, uh, no, we're, we're convinced that our God is able to deliver you uh, out of the fiery furnace, whatever consequences you have in store for us. Um, you know, but if not, uh, then we, we're trusting God to take us to our heavenly home. Um, and, and, and so, you know, this, this is not just a story in the ancient past. This is a story that I think uh, Christians today uh, are are living out even in our culture where where there's increasing opposition to our convictions uh, certainly in places around the world where Christians are being told uh, you know convert to Islam or Hinduism or whatever or die uh, and it's going to be a dilemma faced by those uh, those folks uh, tribulation believers who who will be uh, required to receive the mark of the beast or or suffer severe consequences. Right. Um, For us in America, it's mostly adopting the ideology that uh, drives yeah. society. Yeah, caving into a lot of the social mores that that are in vogue, and uh, you know, buying into ideologies that we just can't accept. Uh, so, so we're being increasingly viewed as um, you know archaic at best and bigoted. At worst, you know, you're against these people. Well, it's not being against people. It's it's being for a certain uh, a certain way of living right. that Jesus and and has prescribed for us and is is laid out pretty clearly in in the uh, New Testament epistles. So, uh, yeah, we're we're facing some of it now. I'd say a mild form of it, but it's uh, you know looking at the trend of society in the last. 30 or 40 years, uh, it's, it's going to get worse. Yeah. So that was one of the other great points that uh, talking about this has been something that God has promised forever. Uh, was you, you mentioned that Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, uh, it, it's a wonderful promise that, that we can rely on uh, where it's written that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? That, uh, if that is your prayer every night, you should sleep very well. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's important, this is a little uh, lesson in hermeneutics, right? So hermeneutics is, is how you interpret scripture. And it's easy for us to look at a passage like Daniel chapter 3, and come away with the idea that, well, I don't need to worry in, in these kind of circumstances because God will do for me what he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'll take me out of the fire. Uh, but that's not, that's not the promise of this passage. Um, even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego acknowledged that this might not have that outcome. That's why they said, you know, we believe God will do this, but if not, right. we're still going to be faithful. Um, I think the thing the thing that we can take away is the confidence that if your faith comes under fire, you're not going to be alone. God's going to be there with you, like He was with 
with the uh, the three friends in the midst of the fire. Uh, now here's the hermeneutic lesson. It's you can't really take a story, and and make a, a hard principle from the story, because that might just be a one-off, right? This might be just what happened for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What turns it into a hard principle for us is when you have the New Testament reiterate the, basically the same point, right? So when the writer of Hebrews says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, uh, therefore we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? Now we can take it to the bank, right? Because we have it not only illustrated for us, by these uh, three young men in the Old Testament, but we have this, the principle stated uh, very clearly for us uh, by the uh, New Testament epistle writers. Um, and, and I think that's really the, the big takeaway is, you know, whatever you're going through, not just in terms of trials, but that's a direct consequence of you standing on your faith in opposition to people who are in authority over you. Um, you can be confident that uh, though you're standing alone, where there are only three of us standing against this mighty king, uh, we're not alone in that. God is with us, and uh, we don't need we don't need to be afraid of this guy, right? Because uh, uh, the Lord is our helper, and we don't need to be afraid. Right, and that's the what God actually calls the Holy Spirit, the helper. Sure. And yeah. That, yeah. That is our assurance. Yep. So, what happens when the church does teach um, that God will always rescue us uh, the way that we want him to? Yeah, then I think we, be, we become disillusioned, right? Uh, when, when we basically are prescribing the outcome mm -hmm. and thinking that we'll get this outcome because we have enough faith. Well, it's not dependent upon faith. It's dependent on the sovereignty of God. And, and God sees the whole picture of what he's trying to accomplish in history and in some cases um, uh, the martyrdom of his people is part of his plan for advancing the gospel uh, you know there's an old saying that blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church uh, that, that the church has often advanced in times when persecution was at its worst and so it may not be God's will to always bail us out and get us out of the fire it might be God's will that some of us would go to a martyr's death because of the impact that that might have on others. There's so so many stories in in um, a, a ch early church history relative to the Roman Empire, where you have um, uh, Romans who are who are in charge of putting Christians to death, watching the bravery of those Christians mm -hmm. facing death and saying, "What is it about these people? They're not afraid." Of even right. this, and and that led to the conversion of many, uh, you know, of the Roman persecutors, who could believe the, the bravery with which believers face death, and um, you know we're not we're not at that point in our culture. Um, we may get there. Uh, certainly, there are Christians around the world who are experiencing that and and bearing witness uh, to Christ uh, in, in the in the incredibly. A brave way that they face their persecutors and those who make demands of them. Um, but uh, yeah, so so what happens when we prescribe that you know? Well, I have enough faith that God's going to 
going to get me out of this fire, and then he doesn't, uh, I do lose my job, <laughs> you know, for instance, or I, I don't get that promotion because uh, I, I didn't comply with everything the boss wanted from me because of my convictions as a Christian. Um, uh, or I was reprimanded by my principal because I wouldn't call that student by certain pronouns or whatever. Or I got kicked out of the OR because I wouldn't assist with uh, abortions. Um, and, you know, I had faith that God wouldn't, you know, would be with me in that and would see me through it. And I got kicked out or lost my job. Well, that leads to disillusionment, right? Yeah. Now, now God let me down. Well, no. I was, I was praying with the wrong expectation. Um, I can ask God to to deliver me and to save my job or to save save uh, you know my place in the OR 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 whatever, but uh, what if He doesn't? Right. That's where the but if not comes in, right. uh, and and that's where I think our faith operates at its highest level, where we're willing to uh, to be faithful to the Lord, regardless of whether He bails us out of the fire or not. Um, the confidence we have is, even if he doesn't, he's still with us in the fire. Right. And, and uh, you know, he might be, he might be uh, uh, preparing to take me out of the fire, or he might be take, preparing me to go through the fire uh, for some purpose that we may not understand, but is ultimately for our good and his glory. Because if we're not teaching your will be done. Yeah. Then you know we're here for we're waiting for God to prosper us. Yeah. Make us healthy, wealthy, and wise, and that's that's not the promise. Yeah. If if God had done that for Jesus, when Jesus prayed, uh, "Take this cup from me," where would we be? <laughs> you know, uh, he would never have gone to the cross. We never would have had uh, salvation. Yeah. And so sometimes, uh, sometimes God will will not give us our ideal outcome. Because he's got something even more important in, in mind that he's trying to accomplish, that he is accomplishing. Right. All right. So let's let's talk about the other person in the fire for just a second. There's a lot of theolo theologians out there who believe different things. Um, could you give us a little bit of uh, insight on that? Yeah. So there are two two prevailing views on who is that fourth person in the fire. It it's. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar describes the person two ways. Uh, he says uh, God sent his angel uh, after he takes them out of the fire. Well, God sent his angel uh, to protect them. But when they're in the fire, he says there is a fourth with them, and his appearance is like a son of the gods. Um, and so some theologians say, well, that's God the Son then. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure. So the two prevailing views are that, that God sends uh, a mighty angel to stand with the four in the fire and protect them uh, in the fire. And others say that it's actually the what's sometimes referred to as the angel of the Lord, or it's uh, a Christophany, an appearance of Christ himself. Um, there are several times in the Old Testament in particular where uh, this, this angel appears uh, called the angel of the Lord, and he is of such um, magnificence and, and import that it's believed that this is not just an ordinary angel, but this is Jesus himself in his pre-incarnate state sent by God the Father uh, to do his bidding in a given instance. 
Um, I could go either way on it, and I don't think it's particularly important to decide uh, whether it's an angel of God or it's actually Jesus appearing uh, in, in a Christophany. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that that uh, God was there with them in the fire protecting the, the, the four, right. making sure that they knew they weren't alone. Yeah, the those other times that, that we have in, in the Old Testament of what has been thought of as a pre-incarnate Christ was Joshua uh, before the battle of Jericho Jacob that's that's who was wrestling with Jacob and uh, Hagar in the wilderness as she was uh, trying to run from Sarai and in each one of those times there's there's conversation mm-hmm. that we that we hear this particular time there's there's no you know no word from God that we hear in that's been written down for us yeah, the only the only ways that we have of identifying who that is are actually by things that are reported by Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, who wasn't exactly a, a theologian. Not in Jewish <laughs> uh, in terms of yeah. understanding Jewish theology. So, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is doing the best he can to the categories he has to describe who this is. One who's who appears as one of the sons of the gods or uh, an angel. Um, and and so certainly it's a divine presence. I think that's that's the bottom line there that uh, that God showed up right. in a, in a big way in a way that was not only comforting and protective of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also in a way that uh, that had Nebuchadnezzar in awe of the power of of the Hebrew God. So one of the things that led to the situation that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in was some hatred, some some bigotry, some of of the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism seems to have been around pretty much since Abraham. Yep. So why do you think some people struggle with coexisting with Jewish people? Uh, that's a great question. I I wouldn't be surprised, but if it has to do with the fact that. God's favor really has been upon this people in a unique way, and uh, it leads to jealousy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you, you look at different places where anti-Semitism has reared its ugly head. It's usually in places where Jewish folks are, are doing very well. Uh, and that was the case here in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel had all received big promotions at the end of chapter 2. You know, Daniel had been put in charge of the entire province of Babylon. Uh, Daniel had been made the chief prefect of all the wise men of Babylon, which meant that he was he was over all the the magi, if you will, uh, which is a whole other story for another time. Um, and, and Daniel then asked Nebuchadnezzar if he could have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in his cabinet overseeing the provinces of the province of Babylon. So you have three outsiders who who are relatively new immigrants, uh, young guys, who have been given plum positions in the administration of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's very clear in the text that it was certain Chaldeans that brought these charges against them. Uh, Chaldeans meaning, well, they were from Babylon. They were, they were from there. And uh, and even in the way they asked the question of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, reminding him that you put these Jews in charge, and now look what they're doing. 
they don't listen to you. They don't obey your gods. Um, don't you think you made a mistake here? Mm-hmm. And, Little boy club. Yeah, it's, it's very very clear there that that they are being singled out because of the fact that they are they're Jews. So about five years ago, I found out that my father's grandmother was a Jew. Yeah. And that was something that was completely hidden from us. I would not have known it unless I had taken a DNA test. <clears throat> and no one still to this day wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, my my grandparents are all gone, but my uncles, uh, they're silent on it. So if, if they were told anything at all, uh, they, they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I actually have a similar story. My my great grandmother on my father's side was Jewish, and um, we suspect we don't know for sure, but we suspect that that couple um, Nicholas and Marie Ritter, her name was Rosenboom, that they migrated from Holland, maybe to avoid the shame mm. that they were experiencing back home. Uh, that they could come to America and get a new start as a couple without the stigma of a Dutch guy having married a Jewish woman. Uh, so, yeah, sounds like we've got some similar similar story in our background. My dad was Jewish. Your my dad gran- was Jewish? Yeah, my well. grandmother, uh, their family was from Hungary. Yeah. Done a little bit of uh, genealogy research on yeah, they, he did not, my dad did not grow up, you know, going to temple every yeah. Sunday. He knew very little, I think, about the traditions of his heritage. But I do remember as a child, my grandmother taking me to Seder dinners occasionally oh, wow. and learning a very little bit about yeah. their faith. Yeah. And my mom was a Methodist. <laughs> I don't know how they got to her. <laughs> yeah. All right, so before we close, um, Let's uh let's tackle the the director's cuts. Was there anything, uh, in particular that you wanted to to, to go down, but that that pathway, but couldn't for time, or uh, thought it would be best to hold back? No, I think we got pretty much everything into the sermon that I was wanting to. Can't think of anything that got left out. Um. Yeah, for me, for me, the the real turning point in the whole story was the but if not yeah you know i mean if there's you know kind of any three words that convey tremendous courage in the old testament i think it's that yeah uh you can throw us in the fiery furnace we have every confidence that god is going to deliver us but if not you need to know we're still not going to serve you we're still not going to bow down to your god right we're still going to be loyal to the lord right and and i think that's uh that's pretty amazing right there and then Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to this miraculous event uh, is going to form how he what happens in chapter four. Yeah, so he uh, he ends. We end chapter three with him basically saying nobody better say anything bad about this god because he's he's a pretty amazing god that he can even do this. Um, and then uh, yeah, in chapter four, a little preview. Uh, contrary to what he knows about the God of Israel, he gets uh, a little too full of himself, and, and God has to bring him down a notch or two. I, I've never met anybody that's had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to be our time for today. 
Um, thank you very much, Pastor Dave and Leslie, for joining us and uh, having the conversation with our Bayside family. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you for joining us today for the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. Join us next week where Pastor Ken discusses Daniel chapter 4 and the second dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. Have a blessed week.